brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, achy joints, weight gain. Maybe you're thinking they're all just part of getting older, or that's what your doctor tells you. But Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all be connected. Hormonal changes that happen during perimenopause and menopause are at the root of dozens of symptoms women experience, not just hot flashes. Midi specializes in compassionate care for women in menopause. Their solutions are safe, effective, and FDA approved. Plus, they're covered by insurance. A convenient telehealth visit with a MIDI clinician can be your first step to getting personalized care. They'll tailor a treatment plan for your symptoms and health history so you can get back to feeling great. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. When your body changes, your care should too. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. Welcome Saturday back to Sunday the Hollywood morning. Casino Press Box. Now back to Frank Cusimano and Bob Ramsey on 590 The Fan and 590thefan.com. Okay, so we were mentioning that if um, Jim Harbaugh leaves, that one of the candidates for that job is one of the prime candidates is going to be Brian Kelly, who does move around, who does have Midwest uh, roots and has won a lot of football games and would be, you know, kind of that big name to take over that big time program. But I was just thinking about this the other day and Andy Moeller brought this up to me on a text. What happens like if he does take that job at LSU and Blake Baker, who, who went to LSU partly because he has roots there. It's, Bob, I remember you were the first mm-hmm. one to say, look, you know, his wife played there. He's coached in that state. He actually coached at LSU. He can't second guess it. But what if the job is Michigan? And the reason I bring this up is that I read a story yesterday that, boy, Eli Drinkwitz is really taking his time about hiring a D.C. So I'm wondering oh. if he's actually that far ahead and thinking through this, you know what, I'm going to just wait and see what happens here with Michigan because Jim Harbaugh is not going to be their coach next year. That's the one thing I'm pretty pretty sure about. But he could have done that staying at Mizzou too. Wait a minute, elaborate. So what, I'm so not sure I'm what you're saying. That if, if Harbaugh leaves and um, the head coach is Brian Kelly at Michigan – the the appeal for Blake Baker to leave Mizzou partly was because to go back to mm-hmm. some of his roots at LSU, he didn't sign up to be the coach at Michigan to leave Mizzou. He signed up to go to LSU to be where his wife. So if family. Kelly goes there, you're saying does he want to stay or, ele- or maybe even elevate to the LSU head job or go with Kelly to Michigan? What do you say? No, I'm saying that does he double back to Mizzou? Go back to Mizzou? No, no chance. And did you read no, some of the stuff that? Um, that Coach Drink said about how much love he has for Blake Baker when he left and how they lived together for six months and he's my brother and all this stuff. Never burn a bridge. I'm, just, I, I'm, I'm sure this is far-fetched. But the reason I bring it up is there's an article yesterday that says, boy, Drink is really taking his time. Drink knows that Brian Kelly's got a really cheap, good chance to get that job, I, I think. So, so I, if he would leave, what would LSU do for a head coach? Do you look internal? 
I, I don't think you could hire Blake Baker to be the head coach at LSU. Do you? I, I don't think so. I don't know. I think that's an awfully big job to give to a guy who's only is he only been a, has one really great year mm-hmm. as a DC at Mizzou. I don't know. Hey, stranger things have happened, but but so LSU. You say maybe go back to Mizzou. I, I kind of see what you're. I mean. It's a little convoluted, but yeah, you could see if some of the dominoes fell the right way, that could happen. But wouldn't you think it'd be more likely, despite wanting to play our coach in uh, uh, in Baton Rouge, but then to go to Michigan, if Kelly said, come with me, wouldn't that be more enticing? Uh, probably. Mm-hmm. You think then going back to Mizzou? Yeah. Or, or maybe he's the gotten SEC. a little taste of what a knucklehead Brian Kelly is. You can't you can't discount that. Yeah. I agree with mm-hmm. you. It's intriguing. Yeah. But the whole point is moot if Kelly doesn't. Yeah. If that's he's got to get the job. Yeah. And I mean, what do you think the odds are that Harbaugh goes back percentage wise? Fifteen mm. percent. <laughs> oh yeah. wow, that's pretty high. Uh, I'd say like ten, but fifteen, yeah. So. I don't think it's likely, though. Um, yeah, I think um, while there is turnover in the National Football League, it's not like the chaotic turnover in the college game. And, and I think that is having control, a little more control of your roster um, is, to me, I think is probably more enticing for yeah. most coaches. Not all, but most. All right, uh, switch topics for a minute. Let's spend a few minutes with our friend Brock Henke talking baseball. Brock, yesterday, Beltre, Maurer, Helton earn election to the Hall of Fame. Do you agree with all three, and is there somebody that should have also gotten in yesterday? Okay, well, if it had been my ballot to fill out, it would have run Alex Rodriguez, Gary Sheffield, Manny Ramirez, and Adrian Beltre. So there's that. Yep. I have no use for the steroid Buritans. Aside from that, I think Beltre is an obvious selection. Maurer I regard as marginal because his career as a Hall of Famer is basically a decade. He had a 15-year career, but only the first tenor at catcher. He's been a first baseman playing no catcher for the remaining five years. He was a very good catcher for 10 years, certainly on a Hall of Fame career trajectory, but I'm not sure if one decade is enough. Um, So that's Maurer. And Helton has the problem of Coors Field, and I'm not sure it's adequately adjusted for. I was watching a show about this on ESPN last night, and they showed his road OPS as if this were an indicator and compared it to Alkaline. The trouble was, Al Kaline played during the 60s when teams didn't score any runs. So, yeah, Helms' OPS looks good compared to Kaline's if you don't adjust for that. But if you adjust for that, it's not just that Helton was playing in cores, he was playing during a high-scoring era. So I'm dicey about Helton, although I think he probably should be in. I'm more dicey about Maurer just because his career basically is dependent on one decade. Let me say this before we move on. I love what your ballot would have been 
I think it's correct. I think it's logical and sensible. And uh, for once, you and I agree 100%. So, <laughs> Yay, I'm happy to hear that. Here's the line I use. My line goes, I am not willing to throw Hank Aaron out of the Hall of Fame for having taken crystal meth. I don't know if you guys remember this. I'm old enough to remember the 60s. Baseball players in the 60s took greenies. Yeah, amphetamines. Greenies are amphetamines. Yeah. Yeah. They're essentially the same thing as crystal meth. If you say that, <laughs> I'm not willing to throw Hank Aaron out of the Hall of Fame for taking crystal meth. You get a lot of blank stares nowadays, but that's what it amounts to. Yep. If you're a steroid puritan, you're saying essentially the same thing. So obviously, uh, with Bonds and Clemens, there's no doubt in your mind you'd have them in. Oh, God, yes. They're first ballot guys. Yep. The question about Barry Bonds is whether between him, Williams, and Musial, he's the first, the second, or the third best left fielder of all time. Clemens is, even if you make every steroid deduction you could manage, the only question is whether he's in the top 10 pitchers or the top 25 pitchers of all time. Mm-hmm. They're just wildly overqualified, mm-hmm. and no steroid deduction you can possibly make would change that. And if you were, yeah, and if you were also in charge, would you uh, put Pete Rose in? No, because uh, gambling is different. Gambling is very, very, very dangerous to sport for reasons that are much more obvious if you look at the Black Sox series. The one thing that we have really done that has cured us from really ever having another Black Sox series is players are no longer underpaid to the point where they have to work summer jobs. Right. So you can't, I mean, Joe Jackson and Eddie Seacotty were literally offered their entire regular season salary just to throw the series, mm-hmm. 10000 bucks. Nowadays, even the biggest gamblers can't afford to match a superstar's regular season salary. So much, that's been yeah, much, cured, but I just I don't like mixing gambling and honest professional sports. I think that lead that has too much potential to lead to trouble. And I don't mind fans betting on games. I mind players getting involved in it. Yeah, you know, for me, I kind of split the difference with Rose. I think it's fair and right that he doesn't work in the game. But I think his accomplishments are such that there should be a plaque there for him. So I'm kind of splitting the difference. Um, Some people would say I'm, you know, know, a little bit soft on it. And uh, I can't... uh, uh, I can't denigrate your your hard stance on that. I, I don't. I'm not going to argue with people who have high standards. So uh, I, I respect your position. I'm probably a little softer. Well, it's not a matter of high standards. It's a matter of an odd standard. I don't want gambling involved in the game. As a player, Pete Rose is obviously a Hall of Famer. There isn't any question. The only question is whether he's inner circle or middle circle. There's no doubt he's good enough. That wasn't the question at all. And there's no doubt that he did not sell his performance. The problem I have really is more with his betting on games when he is a manager than anything else. Because a manager can influence a lineup. So it's really easy for a manager to cheat. All right. How about along the lines of Mark McGuire with 583 home runs and a 982 OPS? What would you do with him? Mark McGuire is one of the five best first basemen in history. 
there's just nothing else to be said. I did a long analysis way back in the 90s when Gonseco's book came out. And one of the things in Gonseco's book is that he says he introduced McGuire to steroids in 1988. McGuire wasn't a rookie in 88. He was a rookie in 87. And he set the rookie record for home runs by 13. He had 49 home runs, setting the rookie record in Oakland without steroids. If you look at that season, you say his career makes perfectly good sense. There's no real room for steroids to have driven his career. He was the player he was in 1987. Okay, he took steroids. But that's nothing if you're evaluating him as a player. As a player, he's all the greatest first baseman in history. And what about Canseco with 462 home runs and a uh, 867 OPS? Would you put him in? And he could run, too, with 200 stolen bases. I agree with all that. The big difference between McGuire and Gonseco is that McGuire took boatloads of walks and was on base constantly with the result that he scored a lot of runs. Gonseco did not take those walks and didn't score those runs and didn't make them up with RBIs gained from having additional at-bats as opposed to walks. I think McGuire was a much greater player than Gonseco. By the way, Canseco did have a three fifty three on base. And yeah. here, here's my one theory on Canseco is that Bob and Brock, he had 462 home runs. So imagine if he hits, is it 38 more? Yeah, 30, 38 more. 38 more, he gets to 500. If he hit um, 38 more home runs and got to 500, this steroid I, thing may have never been blown up because, hear me out here, he would have got to the Hall of Fame with 500 home runs uh, because that, what, that was the number back then. He wouldn't have been the bitter ex-player who wrote the book and exposed everybody to this. Who knows if the steroid thing would have become a big thing if Jose Canseco had 38 better swings. You know, you may be right about that. Interesting. In terms of evaluating him as a player, what you've got to do is compare him to all the other guys who finished just short of 500 homers. But in terms of whether he'd written the book, it's hard to say. I think there would have been a steroid problem anyway, because steroids were in the process of overrunning the bodybuilding industry, and you ended up with these freak show-looking people, and then people on the inside of the game knew that there were steroids in baseball, so the connection was likely to be made, especially since home run rates were going way up. But whether Jose Canseco will have done what he did, I think you might have a point, because at 500 home runs, he probably goes in the Hall of Fame. And would you put Jim Edmonds in if you had a vote? Wow. I would be inclined to say yes. When he was playing, I was not actually aware of how good a fielder he was because he wasn't flashy. He didn't look like Kurt Flood. But it turns out he was a magnificent defensive center fielder, and that would put him over the top for me. All right, Brock, great to hear your voice. We'll talk in a couple of weeks. Thank you, sir. Hey, do you want to hear about Matt Carpenter and Tommy Edmund? I'm ready for those. All right, real quick, what do you, you think of the, the Carpenter move? Carpenter move is a good, small signing. It's not a big signing like a second-ace pitcher like we need, but what he brings, if he's healthy and functioning, is he brings left-handed power, which is the only offensive thing the Cardinals are short of. They've really only got Nolan Gorman. I like that. I don't like installing Tommy Edmond as a starting center fielder because we don't know if Mason Wynn's going to hit. 
And if Wynn can't hit this year, then Tommy Edmond is a shortstop. That's it. That's all I have to say. All right. All right, sir. We'll talk in a couple of weeks. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Bob, you're going to be on the radio tonight, uh, broadcast, St. Louis University. Davidson, kind of give us an overview. What are, you, what are your thoughts about this one? It, by the way, it is an early tip. If you show up at 7, you'll miss half oh, the game right. or more. 6 o'clock tip. Um, yeah, it'll be interesting. This is one you, you got to go get. you got to start, just like we were talking with Brian Barnhart in the Illini. It, you've got to win your home games, and this is going to be an interesting one. They've got a big who will step out and shoot a three, but he's wildly inconsistent. So I, I think the, the matchup to watch is they're big against Brad Azawiro. I think inside... The Big Easy is going to be fine. But if the guy wants to step out and shoot threes, will Brad be willing and will the game plan allow him to get out there and guard him? So I think that's going to be a fascinating matchup. And did they start Parker the last game? I forgot. Uh... He, play, he played a bunch. Uh, he did. I don't know. Yeah, Frank. but it, it, what, it, it may be time to see like the, <laughs> the, the Parker from early in the season. <laughs> oh, no, he, he, did, he played great at VCU. Yeah. No, he was terrific. Um, I think with Dalger gone, you could go that route and have him start. I think the key is you got to give him minutes because when he gets minutes, he produces. Sincere is going to be terrific. Mm -hmm. All right, we'll take a break. We'll be back in 22 hours. Kevin and Nate coming up next.